0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now and good morning church. My name is Mark and I'm one of the pastors of Bethel and the leaders here and I'm excited to bring God's word to us this morning but kids y'all did an amazing amazing job. I just wish I could keep their attention like you did. Maybe if I danced or maybe if I was cute like Clint uh, that would happen. Well this morning we are continuing so uh, several weeks ago we looked at Herod. Uh, Then we saw Mary and we saw the wise men. Well today we're going to be looking at a group of people, probably one of the most popular and talked about in red groups other than Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. If there was a runner-up, these would be the ones. But what is amazing to me is Luke is the only gospel that covers it. So I want to invite you to Luke chapter 2. And this morning, we're going to look at the beloved shepherds. Man, they're in almost every Christmas thing. They're in Charlie Brown's. They're in the other one where it's got the mean kids. And and they're in all the Christmas movies, it seems like. But here's what I want us to see today with these shepherds is they are about to receive an unbelievable gift. And so Christmas is so much about presents. You think about all the ones we buy. We buy for our spouses, our children. Our parents, our in-laws, nieces, nephews, teachers, male persons, our neighbors, and our pastors. In fact, I take Venmo, PayPal, Cash App. Um, I'd be glad to do that. But we, we like to give gifts. We, we like to think about the person and what they like and uh, what they could use. But we love receiving gifts. And so the shepherds this morning, they are going to receive a gift And it is one they could not expect on their best day. So I want to give you the context because we're going to jump into chapter 2. But in chapter 1, Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem. And you remember why? It's because of this man named Caesar Augustus. And he puts a census, he calls for a census throughout all the kingdom of Rome. But have you ever wondered why? Why would he do this? Because it's something we can relate to. We still do that even today. But we do it for things like, uh, there's political reasons and numbers of seats and things like that for elected officials. That we do it where, uh, to find out where resources should go and not go. Uh, communities plan. Even emergency responses. We count so that we can do things better. Well, not Caesar. This Caesar, if you're familiar with your history, is actually a man named Octavian. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. And he is the very first Roman emperor to rule. So what does Octavian do? One of the first things he does is he changes his name. Now probably every kid grows up at one point and wish they had a different name. Well Caesar does and he changes his name from Octavian to augustus what's important about that is what that word means it means holy it was a phrase that was reserved only for deity or gods and so he changes his name to holy it's because caesar he wants to be the god that people worship He wants to be the one that believes himself to be the savior of the world. And he really has one goal. He wants to create what is called Pax Romana, which means peace. So we have a God that's ruling. The very first he changes his name to holy. And his goal is he wants to bring peace to the world. What do you want to do? You want to be viewed as a God who brings peace. So remember that. That is about to be important. But, but why the census? Well, this, this emperor, he wants everyone to be counted because he wants to survey his greatness. He wants to mark out his kingdom. He wants to see just how far his power reaches. But the sad news is this was one of the worst times in Jewish history. Because think about it, what it meant to be a Jew. Rome is invading the world, they're conquering, and they're bringing everyone under their control and their influence. And a man wanting to be a God and using a term now that was only revered for the one true God, he has now claimed that. You're being told guess what? No matter where you live, you have to travel, no matter how far it is, back to the land of your heritage to be counted for Caesar's ego and to pay taxes so he can build his kingdom even bigger. I imagine for the Jews that God at that time felt very, very distant. I God, why are you letting this happen? Where are you? But we know that God is sovereign, not Caesar. And God is about to use Caesar's ego, his pride, his thirst for power to bring two nobodies from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Because that is what he said he would do over thousands of years ago. So with Caesar, sitting in his palace, enjoying his place and his food and all of his servants. And he made this decree. He probably thought, man, I have arrived. Look at what I And controlling. This was the ultimate flexing of his muscles. But we know he is simply a tool in God's hand, that something bigger is happening, and God is actually in the driver's seat. Okay, so back to Mary and Joseph. Now, we see them, and you know what happens? They have a problem finding a place to stay, Mary goes into labor. She ends up in a stable and she gives birth to her first child, the very son of God. And that's the scene in Bethlehem. But all of a sudden in chapter 2, Luke's about to take us on a really quick journey. Only about a mile or two from where Mary and Joseph are, Luke is going to take us from the stable to the nearby fields, which is called the shepherd's field. In fact, you can actually go there today. They made you a nice little place to sit on some bleachers. And you can overlook the shepherd's field. So let's pick up in verse 8 where the light is about to shine through the darkness. And it says, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field watching over their flock by night. And doesn't that it just kind of gives you the warm and fuzzies? Such a great little scene the shepherds are out enjoying the cool evening air. They're watching over the cute little sheep and lambs. But what we have to know is that being a shepherd was not a prestigious or even cute job by any means. In fact, about a year ago, uh, we uh, moved uh, to kind of the west uh, southwest side of uh, White House. And uh, we were able to get a little bit of land And like any crazy person, what do we do? We start buying animals. We're up to 14 chickens, 6 goats, 4 cats, and 2 dogs. So I want to show you the newest member to our flock. So this is Dixie. And all of you are like, oh, isn't she so cute? Well, I want you to know there is nothing cute about spending half of your day off on a Saturday cleaning out goat pens and chicken coops. In fact, I have all the free fertilizer you need. But there is nothing cute about it at all. And so what we need to understand about these shepherds during this time is this was not something that you looked upon favorably. It wasn't something, a profession that anyone grew up wanting to do. If country music was back then, it would be, Mamas don't let your babies grow up to be shepherds. In fact, you know, you take those aptitude tests in school, shepherds are not going to be on there. This was something that no one sought to do. In fact, they were looked down upon. They were seen as lesser people of society. In fact, some historians would say that the only people lower than a shepherd were lepers. In fact, they were extremely looked down upon on the religious people. Think about it you're supposed to take the Sabbath, Shabbat begins at sundown on Friday. I mean, you're not supposed to do anything. You gather your family into your home and you eat, but not the shepherds. They weren't allowed to participate in these rituals because of the jobs that they held. In fact, they were even seen as untrustworthy and even unreliable. In fact, it said that if you were mugged and the only witness that you had was a shepherd, that you were out of luck. So what we have to understand about these shepherds is they were lowly outsiders. They weren't trusted. They were looked down upon. They were simply outcast. And so these shepherds, they're about a mile or two uh, outside of Bethlehem. It's night. So these aren't even the daytime shepherds. I mean, they're just hoping for something to open up during the daylight hours. But these are the night ones. They're absolutely nobody. But all of a sudden, they get the surprise of their lives in verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. So it's dark. Their eyes had finally adjusted to the darkness. And then all of a sudden a light burst through it all. But it isn't just any light. It says it is the glory of the Lord. There's no way they had a category for this. Nothing could have prepared them for what they saw. And like anyone, it says they were overcome with fear. But all of a sudden, this light speaks. Look at verse 10. And an angel said to them, fear not. So the first thing he wants to do is to calm their fears. For behold, I bring you good news. So this angel says, I have some news for you. And it is good news. It's incredible news. And it's going to bring great joy that will be for all the people. So think about this. You're about to bring the greatest announcement the world has ever known. And who do you bring it to? Lowly, stinky, smelly, outcast shepherds that were untrustworthy and unreliable. But then they get the great news in verse 11. Probably the three greatest words these outsiders could have heard for unto you so these outcasts these people that were not valued by society they were looked down upon and the angel appears and he says what i'm about to promise is for you they're not held in high regard they're not respectable in society but what we see is they have a special place in god's heart and notice the announcement, the promise, is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And what they have just said are the three things that we need from this baby. We need a Savior. In fact, Matthew 1:21 tells us, he says, You shall call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. So if you've ever sinned against God, you need Jesus to be your Savior. But there's another title. It says Christ. And this is the word that means anointed one that we translate Messiah. This means this baby named Jesus is the long-predicted, the long-awaited Savior of the world. He's the anointed king, the final prophet, and he is finally here. And what we see in this word Christ is that all God's promises find their yes in this one. But there's a third one. Lord, that we need a ruler. We need someone that that controls not just the things around, but the entire universe. And we need him to be that. So then the angel says... I'm going to give you the sign. This is how you're going to know that it's the Savior, the Christ, and he is the one that controls all. Notice in verse 12. And this will be the sign to you. But the sign, the angel's not the sign. The the great light is not the sign. And this time it's not even a star. But this is how you'll know. And you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now you drive around town and you see the little manger scenes. They got the cute little wooden structure and there's a little wooden, uh, little basket it looks like. Well, let me show you what an actual manger looks like. There's nothing pretty about it at all. It is a piece of stone that they've carved out the middle to feed and water their animals. And this is the sign. But this is what is so huge about this picture that the eternal Son of God, the, the ruler of the universe, the long awaited Savior, he enters the world through a cave, born into poverty amongst a scandalous teenager. He's woken by these smelly night shepherds. And what is he doing? He's wrapped in grave clothes and he's lying in a coffin. And this, I go, that's the sign, Lord, what are you doing? How is that the son that your son is finally here? But I think this is meant to seem in contrast. Because remember who thinks he's ruling? Caesar Augustus. And what we discover is this baby is the complete opposite of him. Instead of slaughtering others... This Savior, this child, he's going to be slaughtered. Instead of oppressing people, he will be the one to be oppressed. Instead of putting people in their place, he's going to take their place. Instead of killing people, he will be killed. He's going to bring peace, not with an iron fist, but by submitting himself to death, even death on the cross. That is not in can it possibly be the sign that these lowly, dirty, smelly, sinful shepherds expected. But you know what about them? Even though there's no way they could have expected it, God is going to use them because they were the ones who would understand. Because they are spending their entire lives in the shadow of Jerusalem, to the south side of it. All year long, they are tending to lambs, that will be used in the Passover to atone for the sins of the people. They're spending their entire lives watching over the flocks of substitute sacrifices. They would have understood better than anyone what John the Baptist meant when he announced that this is the baby born, is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. So if anyone was gonna understand, It was the shepherds. But this is not the only surprise they get. Because look at what happens in 13 and 14. And all of a sudden. They're with this angel. A multitude of heavenly hosts. Praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those whom with he is pleased. I can't imagine This scene when all of a sudden this one angel makes this announcement. And all of a sudden there isn't a few, there isn't just a hundred, probably not even thousands, probably too many to count. They hear the praising of God. And what you see is it only took one, one angel to make this announcement. But it takes an army of angels to respond to it. And they are shouting yet another praise that peace is offered to those with whom God is pleased. But we have to be real careful with that. Because the angels are not saying that peace is only possible if you live a life that pleases God. Now we should want to do that, but if that's the standard, if that's the entrance, how many are actually going to receive it? So we have to ask them, what do I do? What in the world do I do? That God's favor would rest upon me. How do we experience that? And I'm going to show you in just a minute. But I want to keep going. So this is heaven's response. Now let's see the fulfillment of it. So when the angels. They went away. And from them into heaven. And the shepherds said to one another. Let us go over to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened. Which the Lord has made known to us. And they went With haste, So they don't wait one second. They don't sit around and go, what in the world has just happened? They don't even wait for the sun to come up. They take off running. I imagine jumping over every short little fence they found, going from stable to stable, probably freaking every animal out. People are probably wondering they're stealing things they're running through. But all of a sudden they get to one stable. I believe they're out of breath. And all of a sudden it says, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Exactly as it was promised. And notice what they do. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And what you were just seeing... Is that these people that were social outcasts, they were looked down upon, they were lowly, they weren't trusted. They become the very first ones to proclaim the message of the arrival of the Messiah. That they were the very first Christian evangelist and God uses them. And so notice the final scene of God's people because we have to wonder, does it work? And when all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. So they, they wonder, they marvel at this. But then Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And I have to believe Mary was thinking, why me? Of all the women God could have chosen in all of Israel, why am I the one blessed to bring the, be the mother of the Messiah? And in verse 20, and the shepherds are turned and noticed, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And so what we see is the shepherds, they leave differently than when they arrived. And this is what we see this morning. The shepherds received a gift. I'm thinking if I'm a shepherd and I'm asking for something, I'm definitely asking for a better job. God, can you open something up even on the day shift? Can there be something else I could go do? They had to be asking for better jobs. Or, Lord, could you just help people not look at me the way they do? Every time I walk down the street, they, they ignore me. They, they look away. Could you help people just see me differently? Their greatest need isn't power. It isn't prestige. Their greatest gift was peace. That's the thing they needed more than anything. And what is Caesar trying to bring to the Roman Empire? Pax Romana. Peace. But only God could bring it. That the greatest gift the shepherds could ever receive was the gift of peace. And you know what hasn't changed for over 2,000 years? That's still our greatest need. But how in the world do we get it? So ask yourself this morning, do I have peace with God? And remember what it says in verse 14, peace is offered to those with whom God is pleased. Probably every night I lay down going, man, I blew it today. How in the world is what I did pleasing to him? So how do we get it? How does his favor rest upon us? Well, there's a verse that unlocks it all, and it's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, where it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know, for me, the sad thing about this time of year that we celebrate Christmas, the one thing that we should be celebrating above all is simply peace. But doesn't it seem like it's the hardest time of year to actually find it? with all the things that we're trying to balance and all the expectations and all the things that need to get done. So we need to remember only those with whom he is pleased have peace and God is pleased through faith. And you know where it starts? It starts by believing that there was a group of men, lowly, stinky, smelly, outcast shepherds that told us of a promise one had finally arrived. That Jesus, our sacrificial lamb, that he is the only one where we can find a peace that surpasses all understanding. It simply begins by believing, having faith. That's the only way to live a life that is pleasing, that offers us a life of peace. And the truth is, we will never have peace in any area of our lives Until we have peace with God. So here we are seven days to go. Man, I would pray that this next seven days. That we would be able to experience that peace. That maybe we have put our faith in God. And we just need to go back to those moments. I believe those shepherds never ever forgot that night. That they played it over and over in their heads. Of remembering The promise fulfilled. So maybe we need to go back over these next seven days and just remember that that the promised one came. And I believe in that. And then maybe, just maybe, we get to experience a peace like no other. That will then filter out into every area of our lives.